Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Show. This is episode number 213, where we have an utterly fascinating guest who's going to talk to us about a way to think about design that's pretty unusual and utterly fascinating, if you ask me. Uh, Dave and I are going to speak with her for the next hour or so, but I'd like to tell you that Shop Talk is brought to you in part by Braintree Payments. Mobile app development can be complex, but integrating payments no longer has to be. With Braintree, your business can accept nearly every type of payment from any device with just one integration. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash shoptalk. And also Velocity Conference. Velocity is happening June 20th through 23rd in Santa Clara, California. Get on this and register before May 12th because you get early bird pricing that way. And in addition to that, use discount code ST25. 25% off on top of the early bird pricing. It's really a sweet deal. That early bird pricing is ending so soon. Uh, Yeah, Velocity is the best place on earth to learn about continuous delivery, DevOps, web operations, performance, stuff like that. Please enjoy yourselves out there in Santa Clara, California, coming up June 20th through 23rd. Dave, please kick things off. everybody that's me pretending to be chris uh, <laughs> thanks for listening to shout out show i'm dave rupert with me is chris goyer yes 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 i am here and we have a wonderful guest to talk to us about a very interesting concept uh in the world of building products and stuff something that both dave and i do separately we have our own products that we think about and and we're here to talk with somebody who can maybe make us be way better at doing that and i can't wait it's donna lashaw hey donna Hi. Hey. It's coming at us live from Brooklyn, probably. Yes. Right? <laughs> yep, yep. It's the epicenter of cool. Yes, I've heard, so I've heard. I've heard so many cool people from there. You know, there's the... Are you on a fixed gear right now? Is that... Is, no. I assume you're just traveling through the city. No, no. I don't I don't understand fixed fix geared bikes. I have a, um, a regular... Uh, yeah, uh, I forget eight f- twelve speed or eight speed or something, but I do have um, leather uh, leather handlebar tape and a leather nice. seat. So you know, yeah. and it matches. It's very those things improve the user experience. I you know I've yet to hear a compelling argument for a, for a fixed gear bicycle. That's a quite the aside though. I think it would be probably more interesting to our audience to learn about your uh, at least some of your professional life, which is which is. In Brooklyn, running a a you know I'm, you do many things. One for one thing, you have a book, which we'll talk about in a minute. But for but kind of the day job is a couple of different things, right? One is having your own a kind of a, a project strategy and consulting kind of independent business that you run. Yeah, yeah, I run a product strategy consultancy, and um, I help businesses figure out how to engage, engage customers using. Um, their their digital products as the the sort of uh, centerpiece yeah. of how to get people to actually engage with your your brand or or product or business. Right. So is it early stage or middle stage or late stage or you'll just talk to talk to talk to whoever kind of it doesn't matter maybe. You know it it really it really depends. I've spent um, about half my career working with um, uh, startups. 
half my career working with um, uh, actually nonprofits, which is the, the, the two are actually more similar than, <laughs> than you would think. And then, um, and then uh, I know I said half and half, that's 100%, but then another big portion working with um, larger, larger companies, corporations, multinationals. Sure. Cool. So yeah, this is good. I like. I feel like I could use some pro- project strategy. And the and the um, then there's some work at at Parsons too, right? Yeah, yeah. So I teach the um, <laughs> the rest of the time. So I work 100, percent and then I <laughs> and then I teach. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm uh, currently teaching at the Interaction Design Program at the School of Visual Arts. So um, that's uh, that's been pretty exciting it's a wonderful yeah, yeah, yeah. group literal, of people. literal kids or maybe not all kids huh? with, i don't know what the what the demographic is like at parsons i know i call them kids but they're they're adults for the most part mm-hmm. okay cool so that there's a lot there's a lot to, to go here but but kind of the the i don't know the what got you on the show or the, the interesting thing is that it's, it's a fairly new book just dropped uh, do you want to tell us about that? And we can, as I have a million questions about that. It's a very, it's like a, you know, we've said you've, and you said you run a project strategy thing, but it's projects, not just any project strategy, it's project strategy from a pretty unique angle. Yeah. So what I've been doing for the last um, several years is, uh, like I was saying, I help, I help businesses figure out how to engage their customers um, with their digital digital products. So when I say product, it could be anything from um, the website to an app to an actual um, physical device. could be a service that actually is digital. Kiosk, I think, are huge. (laughs) Yeah, so kiosks, I I worked on, uh, man, I got my start in kiosks almost uh, 20 years ago, actually. So uh, yeah, you know, those were... Those were those were really fun, um, but uh, it's you know kind of runs the gamut. I worked on a, a project with Central Park last week, and only a part of that was digital. There, you know, there's um, a whole park experience part of uh, of yeah. what goes into engaging people. So um, yeah, that's what I I started kind of focusing a few years ago using. Um, what I call story strategy, which is using an approach that I used to use when I was a, a filmmaker before I, um, before I ever worked in tech and, um, basically using a technique that filmmakers use to map out, a, a film that it lasts, you know, an hour and a half long. Um, I started using that with, with startups and more established companies and, and with my students, um, just trying to, you know, figure out, Hmm, okay, this, sort of what's the story of this product (laughs) or what's the where does the story part work work in is it it, can you i don't know it's so fascinating so story could be could be i i'm a potential user of this product help me through where this product fits into the story of that person's life is that it yeah yeah i mean that's the 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 gist of it which is that um the let me see. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it started a, a few years ago. I was working with a startup that was had this product that was, it was a really neat idea, but it wasn't doing well. And the business was failing and it, we had a hard time getting people to sign up to, to use the service. And, um, and so what we found was that it kind of, yeah, I kind of, I hit this point where I kept saying to myself and to the rest of the team, what's the story? What's the story? You know, and I found myself saying that 
over and over again so much that one day I decided to, you know, actually... You're like, what is about... the story? <laughs> I know, yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, if I was a filmmaker, <laughs> I would have mapped out the story already and, and had plot points and would have been, would have been very meticulous about what all the different pieces of the story are and how to put it together. And um, I, as luck would have it at the time, I was um, teaching a class and I had decided to try story mapping my, um, my semester because I was teaching a longer, longer class. It was three hours. Um, I think it was twice a week than I'd ever taught before. And I was really panicking about, Oh my God, how do I engage a bunch of 20 year olds and make sure that they don't fall asleep. And so I, um, I started, uh, story mapping my classes again, using what I did as a filmmaker. Um, and, uh, it, it, it worked. And so kind of at night I was teaching, my students were loving, they were just hooked from the beginning of class to the end of class. And, um, I realized, you know, I think it's the same thing for this product that the startup is building story is going to have to work or the business will fail. And, um, I will leave you with that cliffhanger until you ask your next question. But Oh, great. Yeah. It's, it seems like, so this, it's, it's, it's the idea of, of, of mapping a story to, to a, to a product, to a digital world somehow. So there's, you know, I've seen this kind of like iconic screenshot that you use of one of the writers of Breaking Bad, a series we all have seen, I think probably, or, or at least are aware of that has a super engaging plot line, you know, of any show in history, people really drawn to that story and, you know, couldn't wait for the next episode kind of thing. And it was a, such a satisfying screenshot to see because it wasn't just some kind of secret miracle that just, you know, somebody sat down and wrote a story and it just happened to be engaging. There's this board behind this writer that has the plan all written out. It's like, this is what happens during this show. This is, you know, it looks like there's some cards that are kind of between two shows. So maybe they were planning, like maybe it could go either way, or maybe this is information that's kind of implied between shows. There's all this like clear planning behind what a season of Breaking Bad is like. And it's just so nice to see that as a fan, to know that it wasn't, uh, that it was, you know, some thought was put behind that, right? So it's like, were you attracted to that idea too? And you use that same kind of approach to, to what you do? Yeah. So the, the idea is that, um, and actually as, as, uh, um, you know, things tend to smash together when I wasn't teaching and I wasn't working, um, with the startup, uh, a few years ago, I was, I was also just digging through Breaking Bad at the time. And so <laughs> it was kind of this, you know, perfect, perfect storm of, all right, this show, it's, it was hooking me in every single episode, every, um, every season. And, you know, the question was, can I do this with my students? And then can I do this with customers for this, this product that the startup's building? But the idea is that filmmakers plot out every single thing that goes into a scene, into, um, and if it's a TV show, into an episode, into a season, and into an arc of an entire show. And um, there's this idea, the, the word that I just used there, I think it's a, it's a word that's become a part of pop culture. Um, we say arc or season arc or ah, the arc of that show or you know, story arc. Mm -hmm. um, the idea is that there's this, this architecture. It actually is shaped like an arc. Um, although there are many 
million different types of diagrams. I actually literally remember this from school, you know, which like the peak of that arcs is the climax, right? Which everybody knows that word, right? But there's stuff that happens on either side of that that mountain. Yeah, yeah. And there, there, there's just a series of events and um, one thing leads to another. And it's something that a lot of us might have learned in school when I, I was telling my, my um, mother-in-law about the book while I was writing it and she used to be an elementary school teacher and you know, her first reaction was oh I know this <laughs> like I have taught my students <laughs> how to do this but um, yeah, you might have learned about it in school I learned it in film school when I was making documentaries and um, uh, I, I learned it a little bit later than I, I wish I, <laughs> I had because I thought you know if you're making documentaries it's quote-unquote um, nonfiction and that uh, I was supposed to be telling real life, um, real life stories. And it never occurred to me that I still needed the same narrative architecture that my colleagues who were making fictional films were using. That, um, you know, it turns out our brains are just wired to need this kind of structure in order to pay attention or to understand and comprehend things. Um, to stay engaged, and uh, there's actually a lot of neuroscience behind it. It's um, this type of story architecture. It's how we we see value in having done something. Um, it's how we remember things, and it it goes into. Um, there's going to geek out for a minute here, but there's um, uh, this utility factor, which is we will see utility in having done something if there's story structure to it and if our experience flowed just like a story in um you know a blockbuster movie that you saw last week or breaking bad and interesting so, that, so yeah. there's like this like yeah i don't know maybe if maybe a story is has a has a flow like i don't there's a grasshopper and he you know <laughs> feels like he's not part of the grasshopper community and falls in love with a watermelon and the watermelon's family rejects him, but then they, all, against all odds, get together in the end and now they're together. I mean, maybe that's like too boring of one or something, but that follows some kind of kind of arc. Could be me- it ends up being like not just a great metaphor, but it is a great metaphor, but like the same kind of flow as there was a grasshopper and he needed to book a plane ticket to England. So he went to virginamerica.com and bought a plane ticket. And like that, <laughs> that kind of flow can work for that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the idea with story is that one, it's 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 hardwired in all, all of us. So most of us are probably telling stories um, and we're thinking about what we just did as a story without even realizing. So, you know, what you were just talking about with the grasshopper, that's something that my 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 niece, who as soon as she could talk, as soon as she was um, like really verbal, I would say at around three years old, she started telling me these stories. And what I noticed is that, yeah, the story about the grasshopper, it would they would all have the same structure. And she didn't read my book. She, you know, wasn't even really in school yet. But there was something about putting events together in in a certain way um, helped her figure out how to communicate with people. But the flip side of it is that stories are something 
that we humans use to put ourselves in the driver's seat. So um, there's a, and this is something that filmmakers talk about a lot, there's a kind of identification that, um, well, actually fiction writers know this as well, this identification that happens for your audience members. When they're watching your movie, they're not just watching a story about a little um, boy who lost his bicycle and spends an entire movie trying to find his bicycle. They feel like they're the little boy that lost their bicycle. And by, um, by that kind of identification and empathy building, audience members um, are actually physiologically a part of the story. There's a lot of science behind that as well, where your, your, um, your palms get sweaty when they're supposed to, your pulse uh, quickens when it's supposed to. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you think about it like that, like my, my niece who's telling stories about grasshoppers and, and, and princesses, um, half of the stories were about herself. It's just how she was able to put it in a kind of framework so that she could then tell me what, what she did that day. I'm I'm starting to wonder if this is why stories I tell at parties aren't successful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'll start, you know, oh, I was listening to this really great podcast, and then I just drive downhill, and then I I kind of hit the bottom of the bowl, and then I try yeah, to because pick Dave, up we want to know why you are better after you listen to it. You know, we want to we we, we it, there needs to be some falling action, Dave. Right, but it, it, yeah, it's more like a a, a a downward slope with a little kick at the end. But it, it's not like a upward climb where I'm becoming oh, a better human being. It's yeah. it's just a well, side. listen, this thing. There are some facts. Uh, you might like, you might disagree with the facts, but I'm cut. anyway. It's cool. That's my story. That's every story. Um, I, don't, I think this is great. I like that it has a structure because I, I think we're all in the business of telling stories, right? I think every one of us listening to this podcast has been in that that business meeting at work where it's like, all right, we need to like tell the story of the brand, you know, like we're telling a story. Let's tell the story. Uh, and this, I like that there is a structure. There's a pre-existing way to tell a story that we all identify with. Uh, I, how I, earlier today, Chris and I were talking and we had talked about metaphors and, and how sometimes metaphors always fall apart. Uh, do you feel like this metaphor applies and scales to kind of web work? How, how are you seeing it apply and scale to web work? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, this, this framework applies and scales to everything, um, like absolutely everything. So it could be, um, you know, talking about your work. So what you were just talking about is, is using, using story in a, it could be a pitch or a client presentation. And that's something that you're, you're probably doing already, but you can also be meticulous about. It could be, um, uh, I love, <laughs> I love using this as an example, but I, I story mapped my, my wedding and um, that was a couple of years ago. And, you know, the question was, how do I make sure people don't get bored by the end of the night? Um, yeah, what did you identify as the climax of the wedding? Well, so the, the, um, the cli- there had to be a couple of things that happened. The climax of the wedding was... Um, uh, oh man, now I'm trying to, I know this is, I need to, it's okay. I, ask but it, people because who you think it would be like the, you know, when you slide the ring on or something like that, but usually that's like when people are like yawning and stuff, right? They're like ready for the, ready for the band to play or whatever. I know, I know. I think it, oh my 
God, I'm trying to remember. See, this is the funny thing. I was like half, half there, but I still, to even last week it happened. People come up to me all the time and say, oh my God, that wedding. Actually, it happened two days ago. Oh my God, that wedding. I still tell everyone about that wedding. So <laughs> I know I should ask them what the high So when you tell was. a good story, it becomes a, a story that's easier for them to tell as well, right? It's kind of. Well, and that's the key. It, it's something that people remember and they still talk about this day, to this day and something they still talk about. And so I think, the, um, if I remember correctly, the climax was the bonfire that happened. It was out in the country and it was um, after the wedding band. Oh, no, it was the dancing. Now I, now I totally remember. Crazy dancing. So we had a klezmer band. And, um, and, uh, and I plan this all, I swear I plan this all, but so, um, what it is, is there's, there's this kind of Jewish dancing that, um, people do at weddings that you might've seen like the horror people kind of hold hands and hold chairs up in the, in the air. Um, and so there's that, but you can take it to an extreme where there's it, the dancing gets like completely insane and, um, people, uh, um, like do dances for the parents and for the the wedding party and it's just this whole insane thing and I knew that um if the band played at the right time that my brother-in-law would get um the dancing like absolutely crazy to the point where people would see something that they'd never seen before and um and so and it totally it totally worked and people were just like amazed and shocked and they all got into it like people who have never seen dance got into it and so um that and then and then the the falling action was the the bonfire outside where people could stay if they wanted to or they could just go home early because yeah you know i'm old i like going to bed early. i like so. that so it, it's funny that it took you a minute to even kind of kind of pin down what it was because it's not it's like you know, like what is the Virgin America story? Is it is the is the climax when you get a email confirmation of your trip, so your trip to Iceland now feels real, or is it when you actually board the plane, or is it like when you get your first mimosa? <laughs> like, it takes you got to think it all through. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, and 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 that's the the thing about all of this is that. It's something that you can, so, you know, I'm talking about my wedding, how we planned the wedding in a way where everything was mapped out. So I can tell you, you know, the, what kickstarted the action was, um, like a clarinetist and, a, you know, a bunch of musicians coming out and surprising people and everyone was on a farm and they had no idea what they were in for. So, you know, there was some mystery and intrigue attached to that. If it's something like, um, like a a trip there's there is story involved in that in a way that what we have is um uh you know i have got these amazing photos from my trip to iceland last year and i've convinced about three other people to go to iceland you really did go to iceland. Oh, yeah i was in iceland last year oh wow it's just a lucky guess yeah, no, I mean, this stuff happens. So there are ways, you know, can, can the Iceland Tourism Bureau um, have planned out my trip? No, of course not. But are there things that you can have more control over with a digital experience? Absolutely. And so, um, you know, I'll give you an example uh, with um, uh, the project that I'm working for um, Central Park right now. That's something, you know, can we can we design how people use the park? No, of course not. But can we figure out what people do and don't love about going to the park currently 
and then find out. Um, so in New York, there's this. Uh, a lot of our parks are run by nonprofit organizations, and they need um, they need donations in order to stay afloat, in order to keep the parks amazing. And so, can we find out why people do or don't? give money to an organization like the one that runs Central Park. And when you find, you actually get real data, you can map that out and it always maps out onto a story. Um, I've never worked on a project where what people told us did not map out. And what you can do with that then is turn it into a digital strategy. So when people go to um, your website, that has to function like a story. There's got to be something that kickstarts them into action. There might be a flow that they go through. There are potential cliffhangers where you could lose people. Um, that might be one episode, but then there might be a, an entire series of episodes that happen when they come back to your website or they get an email. Episode five is um, they see a tweet. And so this is, you know, it, it's, it's digital. Interesting. It's it does analog. Oh, great. So when you're doing this, I mean, that, 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 that part of, you know, episode five and where you really are. So the term for that is story mapping. That's how you use it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a term I, I made up when I was in school. It just it was. Um, it's just very obvious. I mean, it's just it's a good word because it's just it's clear what it means. You know, like you're mapping a story. Got it? Yeah. And you can use whatever three by five cards or sticky notes for that. And that's kind of a good good look. It seems. Is it when you're doing that? Are you mapping? Like a word I use and I'm familiar with, and I assume other people do, is this happy path which is like a way that somebody uses your app and everything kind of goes right. You, they click on the things you expect them to click on and no errors happen and they follow this path that you assume that they're going to. And that's great and that's like mostly what we design around and hope happens, but, but then realize that that's not always what happens. People abandon things or errors happen or they give us data that we didn't expect them to give us and all that stuff. Do you think of that thing, is that part of a story too? Or do you just like, that's kind of a different discipline? Yeah. So the great thing about using story as a framework to map out happy paths, because it is, so it is a lot about happy paths. It is about thinking in terms of, um, okay, so we want people to donate. What's the happy path that people who have donated taken? Um, or let's say this is an e-commerce project. Okay, so we want people to buy something. Uh, what's the happy path that people, or happy paths, because there are probably many, um, that they've taken before uh, and in the past, and, and, and those people who have purchased, what have they done? And then how do we repeat that for more people? And the um, idea is that stories, a good story, is built on conflict and tension. Otherwise, it's if it's too much of a happy path, it's as you were saying. Not only is it not realistic, but in terms of a story, it's it's kind of boring and anticlimactic. So um, you get what is uh, if you think about a narrative arc, it's a flat structure without conflict. If it's too easy, um, it's it's not compelling. Uh, if you're telling a story, you know, if you're make, like Breaking Bad would be pretty boring if um, if you know one day. Uh, someone said he just, he just had a great time selling drugs. It was just went over misdiagnosis, no cancer, didn't even have it to begin with. Exactly, no cancer. Like you know, I want more money. I'm bored. Midlife crisis. I'm gonna go buy a car. The end. You know, so 
it's like you, you need you need tension and so the thing about building something like um a, let's say a web flow for example um it's about embracing that tension and knowing that your user on the other end it's they're not that easy there's gonna be that tension either they're not gonna want to click on that button they're not gonna want to go to the next step they might be confused there are a whole host of things that you can use when ideating paths and flows to make sure that your happy path becomes as bulletproof as possible so um, for example uh, there's um, uh, so this is a really really simple example but um, with one client I was working on a, um, a purchase flow and what they found it was for an enterprise product and people were um, were starting to to click through show interest in signing up for this this product um, but what was happening is, you know, I think it was around five step process and, um, and it was pretty simple and they designed it to be quote unquote frictionless, which is something we hear about a lot, you know, and they, they, when they came to me, the the question was, it's frictionless, it's frictionless, it, it works. Why are people not, you know, completing? Why are they dropping off? And what we found is that it was so frictionless that people didn't trust going from step to step. And there was this issue where on the payment page, there were certain pieces of information that weren't surfaced. So in other words, the payment page was way too, or the payment step in the flow was way too clean and uncluttered um, to give them the user focus and make sure that they fill out the form as, as easily as possible. And it was a gorgeous form. But what was happening is people weren't, they weren't trusting that, you know, wait, why am I giving them this money? Or do I get a money back guarantee? Or what if I don't like it? Or how long do I have to commit to this? Or is my money being securely transferred? And, um, you know, in this case, it was as simple as putting up a couple of um, just like a more prominent security seal to let people know it was safe. And it was a matter of also um, letting people know not only that they, they had a month trial and could cancel the service at any point but what saved this flow was putting up a phone number and what we found is that this flow the conversion rates were highest when people could because it was an enterprise product call up and finish their um, uh, purchase basically on the phone with a salesperson and so it's like antithetical to what you would think, but that's how the story needed to go. And now this, you know, this company is doing wonderful and they have a, um, a, a sales team that they had to build up because of this. And what they realize is for them, the story is not all, not all digital. They need, they need a lot of handholding and it's totally okay. I thought it was going to go a different route. It was like, this is too clean. We got to like junk up this website a little bit. Can we, you know, add like, like some superfluous information and stuff, make it look a little more needlessly complicated, build some trust. Well, it kind of was that we made Throw it harder. Some JavaScript errors. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, but you think, if you think about yeah. that, we made what was a really, really slick digital solution harder, you know, like yeah, now yeah. It, it's about, you know, Hey, give us a call. It's about adding a little bit of, it was a little harder. Yeah. It's like when I go, to a bowling alley website and it's like it's like I'm looking for a bowling alley and they have a website and it's like too nice. I'm like, no, no, this is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like a crappy bowling alley. 
This episode of Shop Talk is brought to you in part by O'Reilly's Velocity Conference. Since 2008, Velocity has been the best place on earth to learn about continuous delivery, DevOps, web operations, and performance. It's a conference all about building fast, resilient, and highly available websites and apps. You'll find practitioners, developers, sysadmins, ops pros, and others on the front lines of performance and operations sharing stories of their successes, failures, and concrete technical solutions. Velocity offers two days of hands-on in-depth training courses and tutorials followed by two days of sessions and keynotes, not to mention Velocity's legendary networking opportunities. Velocity is happening June 20th through 23rd in Santa Clara, California. Register before May 12th and get early pricing. And since you're a Shop Talk Show listener, use discount code ST25 to get an additional 25% off. It's really a sweet deal. So this kind of goes against, you know, I don't know, like Steve Krug and the the don't make me think million dollar button sort of stuff. Like, how do you know, like, what's adding that right amount of drama or that that kind of like push or what is what is kind of a a, a bounce rate? Right amount of friction. What, yeah. What? How do you know the right I amount? I suppose you got to test a story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. That that the the way I I see it is stories are are data driven, and stories are something that we um, that I, we you have to test. And so this is something I do with clients all the time, which is we think that a story is is going to be more bulletproof if if we do it this way, and we need to test it. So either it could be done with um, uh, if it's a prototype that we've got, we might do in-person testing at the beginning, bring a bunch of people in, see how they react. And in that case, what you often see is, um, I, I call it the, the smile test, which is you often see around three quarters of the way through, kind of like I was talking about with my wedding, like it, people smile at just the right time. And you can see it when people are playing with a prototype or clicking around. You can also see um, when people are frustrated at the wrong time. And so the the trick with testing in person is that um, there's this uh, um, idea called the peak end rule. And it's it, what it says is that people remember the highs and lows of an experience and they remember whatever came closest to the end. So if you want people to remember something important or to just think fondly of something that they just did, you want the high point to be as close to the end as possible. And so I've seen in in-person testing sometimes, um, you know, flows that aren't that wonderful or maybe that usable or have some issues when people get value and get what they wanted near the end, they're often pretty happy. And I've seen some companies with amazing um, net promoter scores and satisfaction scores where, you know, their product is, is just okay. You know, it might have like the buttons are ugly and things are just kind of weird and kludgy, but people can do amazing things with it and they're just, they're happy with it. So you can test things in person and you can also use analytics to test things. So if we have a hypothesis that the story should work like this and that this flow should be this many steps and, and people are dropping, always dropping off on step four and we want them to get to step six, we can then, um, once, you know, we improve it, put it out there and, and measure are people actually 
converting and are they completing the flow? And that's when you actually see, is this story successful or not? So if you can't measure it, then it's just otherwise a good idea. So a company hires you to bring you in, say, and you're like, do they kind of know that you're going to take them through this storytelling thing? It looks like your website is pretty clear that uh, about your style I'd say, but but if they didn't, we'd be like, you know, this is how I word you tell them. This is this is the process that we're going to go through. It it's involves stories. Are you ready for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's generally how it works. Which is, um, you know, if it, if it's a a company, um, usually like a bigger company, they might actually want me to come in and do a training with their team, or they they might already know about how how I use um, story mapping to to help companies with engagement. So in that case, they'll have me come in and train their team. If it's a, a client that wants help fixing a, a problem, or it could be developing an app from scratch, usually they'll they'll come to me. Um, usually because some a friend or a colleague sent them my way because there's some kind of engagement related piece to what they're trying to do and that's when I um uh that's when I kind of throw the curveball of okay here's how we're going to do it and it, usually pre- people are pretty intrigued because they just haven't yeah. thought about using story your students in this way. right they were they're hooked they're in they want to try it that's cool so you, and it sounds like you've had some good success stories too cuz I I don't know I would it seems like what a, like a bad outcome would be that like the company hires you. They're like fun storytelling, and the employees treat it as just kind of like this fun little like t- t- a little exercise kind of thing. And then you leave, and it's just business as usual, you know. What uh, our good outcome is that they like think about this all the time, right? It's kind of a, a change in their workflow. Yep. Yeah. I mean, my my goal is always to make it be a. Um, kind of a cornerstone of how you approach your work after we work together. And that's something, you know, as a, as a consultant, it's, it's, I come in, I help you and then I leave. And sometimes depending on the relationship we have, I might stay on as an advisor or um, some kind of coaching capacity, in which case I'll, I'll help you see the project through and make sure that, okay, yes, this, now this is working. Okay, this story didn't test as well. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's tweak it in this way. And, um, you know, but my, my goal really is, I mean, it's kind of, I'm a terrible business person in this sense, but it's, it's to kind of put myself out of, <laughs> out of business. Cause I just, I want teams to, I want everyone to think like a storyteller, um, up or story maker really up through, uh, management to the, the, the CEO even. I mean, that, that's, sure. that's I'm what I'm sure want. that'll never happen. Even if the entire world starts, starts thinking in this way, it's not, you'll just become more valuable. I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that they'd be like, Ooh, who's, who's she talking about some old stuff? Everybody knows this. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. So d- different people experience stories in different ways, right? If you map out a good story, how, I mean, how does the idea of personas factor into this? Don't di- wouldn't a different persona traverse a story in a in the same story in a different way as somebody else? Yeah, so personas fit into this in a, in a few different ways. Um the well, so okay, I'd say first one one of two ways. Either if you you have personas that are based on on research, then they 
um, let's say you've got two personas you're working with, they go through different story arcs in the ways that they, they do things. And it all depends on what their goals are. So that's the, the end point of the story and what their problems are that they're trying to solve. And that, that happens at the beginning of the story and what the different, um, climaxes are. In other words, what, um, values people get out of an experience or just what their high point is. And so it's, um, something, yeah, I mean, so for different personas, you can map out different stories. They intersect sometimes. So sometimes you might have, um, one persona, uh, has a certain story that works this way and another persona makes a little cameo in their, in their, in their story. But usually, I see them separate. Um, the thing is, so you can have personas that are uh, based on real data and then the stories are based on data. Or sometimes what I do with clients is, because um, not everyone, ha- not every team has personas, not every business has a budget to go do research before starting a project. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll come up with provisional personas and um, map out stories based on what we think the story is. And yeah, that is, right. you know, totally, I love those work, kinds of workshops. And then it just becomes best guesses. And then we go out and try to validate, okay, this is what we think the story is. Is that true? Or this is what the story could be. Is that true? Right. It's related to testing in a way. I, I kind of thought of it as, well, there's certain different personas as one person is trying to buy a ticket to Iceland and another person is booked the wrong ticket to Iceland and is now trying to change it or whatever. That would be a, just a different story entirely because they're different people. So that's like mapping a, to a different story, I would imagine. But then there's like the same person who's trying to change a ticket that they booked to Iceland. One of them is because like, I don't know, it's not for a month. They're just going to do it. It's a Sunday. They're like, oh yeah, we were going to change that ticket. That's the, it's the same person, but it could be somebody who's also trying to change a ticket to Iceland, but it's because they booked the wrong one for their boss and their boss is now super mad at them and they need to get it changed right now. So they're under some degree of stress. I, I uh, The reason I mention this is we just had Sarah Watcher Betcher and Eric Meyer on talking about uh, designed for real life, and they've talked. They talk a bunch about like people in crisis and stuff like that, and how that is like a. They might be the same person, but they're like approaching an experience in a very different way. Like they're freaked out or in danger or that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, so there there are a couple of things, which is they're they're. You can think of personas as they have this um, this goal in mind. And if their goals are different and their behaviors are drastically different, then they um, typically will have them be different, different personas. But then um, you've got what, what Sarah and Eric are talking about, which is um, context. So context can, can change depending on what a persona is going through in their life. So let's say they're um, buying a ticket to Iceland, they heard about Iceland because of, um, here, I'm trying to think, I'll just tell you what, why did I go to Iceland last year? We were, I was speaking at a conference in Switzerland and my partner was looking for flights for us and the cheapest flight was with a layover in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's a, the strategy that Iceland um, has been doing to get people to, to come into to Iceland. Most, a lot of people go there over layovers these days. And so we thought, huh, 
Iceland. And then we probably did some research and then, you know, we ended up booking this flight through Iceland Air to Switzerland, which was completely random, um, but a totally amazing trip. So that was, you know, in that case, I would have been, you know, I, I'm not working for Iceland Air, so I can't tell you this for sure, but my guess is my, my the persona type would be um, a traveler who's just booking a flight. Like I was never looking to go to Iceland, but they got me. They, they, they totally got me. Um, whereas, you know, another persona might be going to Icelandair.com to look for information on how to go to Iceland, which is totally different behavior. It's all related. <laughs> it is all related. But I think, yeah, then, you know, if you think about what Sarah and Eric talk about is it's, um, it's almost thinking about, um, I mean, I hate to use this, this term in the context of what they're writing about, but it's thinking about the horror stories, you know? So, okay, I'm someone who, um, who wants to, uh, travel to Switzerland and I found a flight to Iceland. Great. I'm going to go buy that flight, but you think about, well, what could, what could go wrong? And, um, you know, not, I don't even know what could go wrong with, (laughs) with buying a flight, but it's just about, you know, what could be going on in that person's life? What are things that we need to take um, into account? If you think about Facebook, is it really just about me wanting to connect with people all the time? Well, okay, if so, great. What could that mean? It could mean connecting when things are good. It could mean connecting when things are bad. And that's, that's the kind of context that stories have. Is it easy to kind of come up with ideal characters or, or in your persona work? Um, I'm thinking of just uh, back to kind of the movie, you know, it, there's a lot of tropes that are written into movies, you know, are there, are there persona tropes and maybe I've just given you like an, your next book title, but are there, are there kind of like UX persona tropes that we kind of use and buy into and, and we're like, Oh, it'll be so easy because this is a, I don't know, educated woman who works, listens to NPR for 16 hours a day or something. You know, is there anything like that? you right. So there are persona tropes only when they're poorly done. And so I will say, that, okay. So, I, you know, using, NPR as an example, I, I um, was working on a project last year for um, for New York Public Radio. You know, you could think of it in terms of um, there are sort of cliche personas that you could come up with um, where, oh, yeah, it's the person who loves the tote bag. You know, so, OK, we, we know that's a thing. We know people love tote bags. Um, but when you do research and you actually come up with personas for an organization, what you really want to know is why. Why do they want that tote bag? Otherwise, uh, NPR is just going to keep trying to sell. Then they're in the tote bag selling business, but they're not in the tote bag selling business. Although I'm sure they're probably the biggest purchaser of (laughs) tote bags in the world, but (laughs) (laughs) there's there's something more to that. And so that's what you always want to ask when you're um, developing characters for a movie or when you're, when you're, I'll say developing personas for a project, but we're not making up personas. We're really doing, I, I try to always do research to base personas off of, um, or if I'm working with a team and we're, we're guessing, we, I still dig in in the way that a filmmaker would with a character, which is you always want to ask why. And something I like doing is um, the five whys. I do this when I do user interviews, um, or if I'm just sketching a a character with, with clients. And so, um, you know, okay, 
why does someone want a, a tote bag? You know, and you kind of <laughs> dig in. Okay, well, they love their public radio station. Well, why do they love their public radio station? And, um, you know, so like, for example, uh, what I found is that there could be different types of um, different types of listeners. There's the one that wants to stay always stay up to date on the news. Like public radio is how they stay um, um, they stay smart with their friends, and they they just always know what's going on. For other people, it's how they're um, they're tuned into um, just uh, this kind of white noise. Like I, I do this, you know, I just have NPR on all day just to have, just to never feel alone. You know, I hang out with my dog. He's wonderful, but sometimes you just want a little more. So it just kind of washes over me. And, you know, you dig into different types of things that people need and then why would they donate? And then how do we get that to happen more? Um, but it's not, you know, yeah, a trope would be like, uh, coming up with a persona like Jane, Jane loves tote bags. She loves it when her NPR station asks for money. It's like, no, she doesn't. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) There's something else going on there. And, uh, same thing with characters, you know, breaking bad, like, you know, okay. Why do you want to sell meth? (laughs) There's, there's something to that. Otherwise that show would be pretty shallow. Right. Because I'm from the streets. I know. Street I can't meth. believe I just compared meth to tote bags, but it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's true. It, uh, <laughs> if we titled episodes, that's what we would <laughs> There you go. <laughs> this episode of Shop Talk is brought to you in part by Braintree Payments. By next year, maybe even next week, there could be a whole new way to pay. Maybe it will be the next Bitcoin or the next Apple Pay or maybe even both. Fortunately, Braintree's full-stack payment platform is easily adaptable to whatever the future holds, so you can easily adapt too, accept everything from pounds to PayPal to that next big innovation from any device with just one integration. And that's when the new payment method comes out. All you have to do is update a few lines of code. No late nights, no complicated recoding, no stress about staying ahead of the curve. Braintree Payments is here to help. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash shop talk. I like that your students were so into it, right? It does kind of make sense. It was a relief moment when you were like, oh, I was so nervous about teaching, you know, this classroom full of students, which I would be mortified, you know, to, you know, how one three-hour class, let alone an entire semester of three-hour classes. And then you kind of stumble across or land on using the storytelling stuff for it. And they're just like in, that's so awesome. I'm sure they were. Do you find like, what's a, like, what's a, what's a mistake that students make, you know, when you're like looking at these kind of stories that they're presumably creating, is there like a one that they stumble upon? Yeah, there's, I'd say the biggest mistake it's, it's not so much when students, so I have, I have people map out stories first before they they ever jump into so if um uh you know and this this is with clients when i do trainings and and my students sometimes they're working on digital products software um apps sometimes it's physical products sometimes it's um cross platform services so there might be a digital component to it there might not be and um what I always make everyone do is map out what they think the intended stories are beforehand and then build their, their product or their project around it. And, um, the, the biggest thing I see happen with students and clients is that once, so when you plan everything out, 
it all sounds great. And then when you actually start getting into the design phase and either you're designing screens or um, it could be posters or physical artifacts, what I find is that you have to keep checking the story every step of the way. So every uh. screen that you ever expect a user to go through, you, you want to ask that, that big question, which is what's the story? What, what is, who is my user and, and what is their goal? Like, what did they want to do again? And then you think like a filmmaker, which is, um, does what I'm putting in the, there's a, a term in film called mise-en-scene, which is, um, the filmmakers love fancy French words. It means, um, yeah. literally putting I in the like scene. I like denouement. That's a nice one. What's <laughs> yeah. this one. So this one is, is, um, it means to put in the scene. And so something filmmakers always ask is, um, is this moving the plot forward? And by that, you mean, is this moving the character to action? But not just to action, are you helping them reach their goal? And that's all that matters. Everything is there to move the character forward. And so if you're designing a flat screen, you want to always ask yourself, who is my character? What do they want to do? And what might get in their way? And that is the, actually the three elements of a story. So it's, um, again, not just about in the planning phase, mapping out these wonderful stories, um, but it's, it's about checking it every step of the way. So I'm building this homepage and as you, the user scrolls, I want like things to fly in at them <laughs> and like lasers to zap and just, you know, and then I hit them with a call to action, you know, that's I, cool story. I feel like cool story, Dave. The spirit of what, you're <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's uh, there is something to that and, and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't actually, I don't design screens, but I, I do have, um, some background in animation and, uh, you know, that's something that like, I think web designers, web design is so relatively new in the big scheme of things that I find that a lot of, um, a lot of us get into this thing where things are shiny and you'll have animation for the sake of animation. But, you know, in film school, you have that beaten out of you really early, which is <laughs> you have these really mean professors who they don't learn the art of critique. Neither do your fellow students. Um, I feel like designers are the only ones to talk about the art of critique, but, um, uh, film schools, it's brutal. And, you know, if there's an animation that's not moving something forward, you, you, you get forced to cut it. <laughs> it's kind of, um, Fascinating. So I think, you know, I think it applies to if the animation has to convey meaning and again, move the character forward. And I think um, that's why mobile is such a wonderful example. I always look when looking at animation to mobile UI and um, even things like Windows and and uh, I guess more Android than iPhone. I'm not sure what iOS is doing lately, but um, it has to help people do something. So an animation needs to convey meaning. Why? Because you want people to do something. Yeah, like you're you're being taken deeper or you're being like presented something now on top or something. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Kind of or like a good game, you could say. And game designers um, steal from narrative all the time. A lot of game design is based on this idea of using narrative architecture to get people to go from one level to the next, from one part of the world to the next. So, yeah. Nice. That's, that's, no, that's it. I'm building a game in my spare time. And one of the problems I'm having is the story is like, how do I, how do I get people to keep wanting to play this? Because it's very just like drop you in linear fight things. We're done. How do I like build in some drama or, or like 
again, this arc, this like going up, having a, a climax, and then the the nice resolution. Um, it's a lot to think about. It's it's a lot, and I think uh, you know, game design is a great a great sort of way to think about the things that we do because um, you know I get this question a lot, which is. Well, it's kind of what we were just talking about. Well, are we talking about happy paths? Well, we can't control what users do, and everything's not always a, um, a happy path that we're planning. But game designers, it doesn't stop them from using narrative structure to plan out what could all the happy paths be, and how might they all intersect, and how does u- user agency or player agency play play into that and and add to the, um, the, the narrative structure of things and what's happening. And, um, this is something that even, you know, filmmakers do. It's, it's, they're, uh, they're, you know, debates that have been going on for decades about, um, you know, is watching a movie active or passive, you know, and I, I, where I come down to and where most everyone I know comes down to is it's active. The view, viewer is not passively being given things. They're actively participating in building the world that they they see on TV or in the movie and um, interactive things like websites and software and apps. It's, it's the same thing. It's just, we have to account for all the variability and all the things that, that, that could happen, but all those paths, they have to work like a story. If you want people to, again, um, be excited about what they're doing, continue, uh, see value in it, remember it and and tell people about it. Cool. Maybe we could wrap up with what, so the user's journey is the book. What's in the book and, should people buy it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes, people. People. People should buy it. Um, I. I'm on the one hand. I, I'm. I'm very biased, but I'm also um, extremely modest, and I. I. Um, I hate telling people to to do things or, um, uh, you know, telling people like, hey, go buy this book that I that I wrote. But um, I've heard from people who've been reading it. It's been out for a couple weeks now and um, uh, people love it. A lot of people have told me that it's already uh, changed the way that they're working. They're applying a lot of the the approaches and the philosophies at at work. Um, And uh, the animations (laughs) and illustrations are really wonderful too. So I think everyone should go out and and buy it. It's, um, uh, it, I don't know, it's changed the way that I work. I, I keep going back to the book when I have a question I'm like oh wait what's that thing again that you know that I wrote about that <laughs> I can't remember how to do but um it's it I don't know it'll change the it'll change the way you think about your work and and the way you work so I think all all of your listeners should go out and buy it today all right well thank you so much Donna for coming on the show um if people aren't following you how can they do that so you can follow me on twitter and it's delishow um also my website it's got um everything information about the book i've got worksheets i have um uh, talks and blog posts and i don't know a ton of stuff on there that's donalishow.com Awesome. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Uh, this has been very exciting uh, just for me. I'm, I'm like, ooh, I, I want to apply this. So thank you very much. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this and your podcast of choice. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. Uh, that's how people find out about the show. Uh, I We are... G- 
working our way into the Google Play Podcatcher store. So uh, hopefully we'll have some news on that. Follow us on Twitter for more information. Um, and if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one. And there is a job I would like to tell you about. Adult Swim, makers of fine cartoons for adults, are looking for a full stack web developer with uh, emphasis on the front end side of things. Uh, that's where you come in. They need like four years of experience, proficient in complex apps like React, Angular, Backbone, uh, MVC style apps. So if that is you, uh, click the link in the show notes uh, and, and go check it out. I think it would be gr- a great opportunity to go work with uh, Rick and Morty and, and all those nice people, cartoon people over at Adult Swim. Thanks very much for listening. Chris, you got anything else? Shop, 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 shop.